Welcome to Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast about how operations and facilities drive brand performance. On today's episode, Bashir Abdallah joins us to talk about how he ended up in facilities management, why facilities has a massive PR problem, and how the industry has evolved and where it's going. But first, a word from our sponsors. Scale your facilities program as fast as you open new locations. With Service Channel Managed, you can leave the hard work to us, so you can focus on growth without limits. Service Channel Managed, a collaborative, transparent, and cost-effective partnership. Visit servicechannel.com to learn more. And here's your host, industry and FM technology thought leader and chief business development officer at Service Channel, Sid Shetty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I am here today with my good friend and colleague, Bashir Abdullah. Bashir, welcome. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, Sid. Doing great. Good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. Thanks for joining. All right. So let's dive right in, right? Bashir, tell us about your role at Service Channel. What do you do? What are you responsible for? Yeah, happy to. I'm the VP of Product Management. I'm responsible for helping to define the product roadmap that supports our customers, the retail, restaurant, convenience, and grocery chains, among many other verticals, as well as the service providers that support them. So really working with a great group of product designers and product managers, as well as our engineering team to build out the things that are really important in in support of our customers. Perfect. You've been in the industry for a long time. Yeah. Tell us about how you ended up in facilities management and how did you end up at Service Channel? Yeah, now, nearly 15 years now, which is, it's passed by really quick. You know, when I got out of college, I started a business with my brothers. What we focused on in that business was distribution of paper and plastic goods. So we sold to a lot of restaurants, convenience, grocery, and other types of chains in upstate New York. But my heart wasn't in it. It wasn't where I wanted to be. And my she was my girlfriend, now wife at, uh, at the time. She was a girlfriend. She's now my wife. Was moving to Connecticut to pursue her master's and eventually her doctorate. And so I followed her, went to Connecticut in 2008. And I got a job at one of the industry's IFM, the Integrated Facility Management Companies. And I, I started at the bottom. I, I started in the service care center and really worked hard to understand what this industry is about, what the trades are, and sort of started to rate, uh, go up the ranks. So I think I was in the service care center for, for a few weeks when I realized that this job's really hard and almost every customer calling on the phone was yelling at the agent on the other side. And I didn't see myself being able to uh, tolerate that or do well with that. Fortunately, I was moved into a different department, into the sourcing procurement team. I focused on two particular things. I, I worked on creating work orders for plant maintenance. And I observed one of the big four consultants helping us at the time with one of the leading convenience store chains in the world with a sourcing and contracting effort with their service providers. So I wrote the scopes. I issued scheduled maintenance work orders to these providers. I've started to build relationships with providers to understand their world and what matters to them. And then, you know, I stepped into a procurement role soon after that. The big four left and we had some restructuring and and I started in on sourcing. And so really started to understand the procurement process, and the journey of provider and customer relationship. And soon after, several years, actually, not really soon after, but several years later, I I decided that the IFM world wasn't for me. I really wanted to be closer to technology. Technology was an ambition of mine outside of work. I was building websites and doing things of that nature. And so I, I connected with the founder of Service Channel, and he brought me over in 2014. And I joined the product team here. So it was a career shift. It was a, a different lens in our space, but one that that I really embraced early on and got to meet the amazing team here at Service Channel. And at the same time, we had a new investment group come in and, and really put a lot of money into the business to take us to the next level and rode that ride to the role that I am in today. Um, it's been an amazing journey and it's been a lot of learning for me, professional development and, and being able to impact the industry the way that, that you and I and, and other people in this company have has been really special. I distinctly remember when Steven, our founder, called me and I think he had just met you and he called me on the way back and he was like, Sid, I just met this guy, Bashir, you're going to love him. And I was like, Steven, you tell this about everybody, right? Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he's a great guy. But turns out he was absolutely right. 
you and I have been, you know, doing a lot of fun stuff over the years at Service Channel. And I think we've, we've helped move the needle. So yeah, he was right. He was right. We're lucky to have you. You know, for me personally, Stephen, he recruited me. I, I don't think I'd ever been recruited before that. I, I don't think anyone ever saw me on, you know, LinkedIn or anything and said, boy, we'd love to have that person join the company. I had a former colleague that joined Service Channel. He reached out to me. And the next day, Stephen had drove from Long Island all the way up to Connecticut to to sit down and have lunch with me. And so I don't think we spoke a second about facility management. We just talked about our lives and our backgrounds. And I think by the end of that lunch, he offered me a job. And now I had to be the one to say, are you sure about this? <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I should meet the team. Maybe I should go to New York and get to know the folks. Um, so, you know, that was, that was really, it was, it was a great feeling to be part of that and to be recruited, you know, as a professional for the first time in my career. But it was also, there was also something very clear about what was going, at, going on at Service Channel that really wasn't happening anywhere else. And when you're in the business of empowering customers and empowering providers, it's a different thing than trying to sell someone a service that you're not entirely sure that they want. Um, so, so that for me was, was the selling point on joining the company and being a part of this, of, of this great organization. Now that's perfect. So let's talk about the industry for a second, right? From your perspective, how has the industry evolved over the past 10 years? That's a great question. I think that you ask that question to other people and they might have different answers. And I think that there's no right answer to it. It's just the evolution is multifaceted. I think for, you know, I'll break it apart into kind of thinking about it from the lens of the provider or the service provider, and then also thinking of it from the lens of the facility management professionals. On the service provider side, the pressure that providers feel to find and retain talent, particularly technicians, and has been exacerbated in a way that I don't think was sort of predictable even 10 years ago. We knew that the skills gap was a challenge. But it is it is a challenge that is really impacting the industry, in particular service providers. And as a result, obviously, it's impacting customers out there and facility management professionals. So I think contractors had have had to get really creative about how they do this and how they handle it. And in doing so, that that means new tactics in recruiting, sponsoring, you know, like literally, you know, meant much in the same way that hospitals pay for nurses to go through school. Contractors are now paying for high school students to go through trade school with the hope that it will return five years of service as an employee. On the customer side or on the FM professional side of things, you know, I think facility managers are leveraging data in a way that they've historically not been able to. And, you know, when they when you look back 10 years ago, the services sort of became commoditized, but actually accessing data and knowing what to do with it was still kind of difficult for people. And so I think we were one of the leaders in the forefront of putting business intelligence in front of folks to be able to think about their budgets, to be able to think about the proper schedule maintenance planning and the proper performance of your providers. So in many ways, I think one of the big changes and one of the things I certainly see from service channel customers is their ability to embrace data and leverage it for efficiencies of their own teams, but really to get better outcomes for their business, really to get to know that these contractors are actually doing the work that these customers are paying for and that they, you know, that they're doing so in line with their budgets and, and, and plans. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that if someone asked me the same question, I would have said the two things that excited me the most about the past 10 years has been technology used to be a nice to have, right? And not a must have. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? That's phenomenal. Yeah. And data, like you said, has become front and center. It's really what allows the facility manager to be empowered to go and make informed decisions and elevate the conversations they're having. So I couldn't agree more. Let's talk about the facility manager, right? The persona of the person we cater to, we sell to. What is your view on that persona? What makes them take? What makes this role so challenging? Well, I think it's multifaceted. Again, I think for any facility management professional, Part of, part of their everyday life falls into three buckets that one of our product directors has recently coined is planning, executing, and sort of analyzing things. And as you look at the different things that they do within those, it is more challenging when you are in one 
vertical versus the other. If you have a lot of assets in your locations, well, the expectation then the stakes are higher because if that oven's down or if that refrigeration unit's down, has a direct impact on your business and pro- and probably your sales as well. So I think that a lot of facility managers are more cognizant of what's in their locations and what like so what makes up the profile of a location so that they can more appropriately plan for supporting those sites. I think, you know, I think another thing that sort of ties back to our last conversation is this idea that facility managers feel empowered in a way with software and technology that they previously hadn't. And I think you sort of said it. If, you know, if you look back 10 years ago, a lot of customers chose the IFM model. A lot of customers chose the broker or services model because there wasn't a possibility with being able to support your own locations with technology. And today, you know, that it's proven that technology can actually allow you to be efficient. You can do more with less. And it really helps these facility managers be effective at their work. The last thing I think I would say is that I think cross-functional relationships within their company become super important to them. And we've seen really successful teams not only have a seat at the table at an executive level in terms of how they support that brand, but really put in the groundwork to, to stay connected to store operations, to stay connected to procurement and construction and lease compliance and other departments so that they're heard and that impacts of other, you know, uh, decision impacts uh, are lessened when they're informed of what that means for them. Uh, so I think that's another crucial factor for for how FMs are thinking about things. For sure, I've been doing this now for 15 years, and you know, I'd say I have developed a deep respect for anyone in our space. Right? I mean, facility managers are are resilient; they follow through, and someone to have in your corner, right, when the chips are down, just because. That's just the nature of our space, right? You have to make sure that when things don't work right, that you're there and you're there to support. And I think the more technology and data we can provide to empower you know, our customer, the better off they're going to be. And we got to do everything we can to do that. By the way, on that topic, they're also expected to solve ambiguous problems all the time. Like there's always that predictable aspect to things where it's an HVAC issue or it's a plumbing issue. There's a, you know, there's a, you know, uh, an issue with the membrane of the roof. And so it's leaking, but there's always these moments and scenarios where like, we need this, we need that we need, you know? And so these folks are really, really resilient in being able to solve those problems and, and jump on whatever issue it might be and do so with a smile on their face. And with probably like we jokingly say that the most thankless position in America as a facility manager, well, that, that's certainly, probably the feeling that these folks have, but they do get the reward when they see how they help and solve problems for their customers who are, who are stores, right. And the, and the store staff. Right. No, I, I think facility managers are expected to know everything. Uh, and that's not the case, right? It, it's a very complex space. I was in that role for a short period of time when I first started out. And at that time, if you told me something was wrong with the left phalange, I would have said, oh, okay, how do we fix it, right? <laughs> you know, no idea. But, you know, that's where I think technology, information, data, insights can really help empower everyone who enters our space. Let's jump into the next topic. Like, let's talk about challenges in the industry. In your view, what is the facilities team's role in the bigger picture of the organization, Right. Because I don't think that organizations give their facilities teams enough credit. I think the biggest role is is serving to preserve the brand. You know, like, I, I mean, they're brand advocates. And even as we were talking about this a second ago, I was thinking that somewhere there's some architect or designer creating a new brand look that a facility manager is going to get shocked by one day that they have to support, Right. You know, and, and for them, it's great because they do the design and they hand it off to construction and then construction hands it off to the FM team. And they're the ones, you know, left to figure out all of the gaps and, and if something's not working, if something is working, whatnot. But I think to answer your question, you know, they are they are the brand advocates. They are the ones responsible for maintaining that brand. And we're talking about not just keeping their store operations teams happy. Hey, they're keeping consumers happy, right? If they're proactive and have 
you know, a tie-in with like IoT or EMS as an example, then, you know, they know how to regulate the temperature in a location. They know when something's something's going wrong well ahead of the location knows it's going wrong. So I think that's their primary role, right? And I also see them, as I mentioned earlier, as critical stakeholders for stores and for store operations. I think it's, you know, we here at Service Channel pride ourselves on these FMs being our customers along with providers. But for them, it's really it's really the store operations that are their customers. And the more that they can do to keep those folks happy and, and to keep them focused on selling, whether it's clothing or a guest experience in restaurants or, you know, cereal boxes in a grocery store or whatever the case may be, that's their focus. Like that, you know, that's the store ops focus. And if something goes wrong, ideally, it's, you know, ideally, this, the, the uh, FMs are really the ones helping to facilitate all that with, without, with minimal impact to that location in the business. I agree with you. I think our space has a massive PR problem, right? Facilities is not the fixer-upper department. You know, it literally is tied directly to consumer experience. I mean, think of any brand, whether it's a restaurant, a C-store, a retail store. When a consumer walks in, like that right there, that brick and mortar space is the first impression they get of your business and your brand. And it tells them what you think of them. Imagine walking into a store and you see broken tile or, or broken fixtures. The consumer's thinking, this is what the, the brand thinks I'm worth, right? If you're in a restaurant, you go with your family. It's a Sunday night. You want to have a nice meal. It's hot. The lights don't work right. The, you know, the ambiance isn't right. The, 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 the sofa is a little torn. That's not a great experience. And no one is walking out thinking, man, that facilities team sucks. No, they, they're just thinking that restaurant sucked, right? Or that, that store was in a horrible, horrible shape. They're not thinking about facilities. And I think that the more we can articulate you know, the relevance of facilities to that ultimate customer experience, the better off our space is going to be. Our product team did some research re- you know, a few years ago where we were looking at an adjacent space around digital advertising and digital marketing. And one thing that these digital advertisers are constantly thinking about is reviews, whether it's Google or Foursquare or you name it, they, they're Facebook. They're looking at reviews, right? We did a little research. We did a little project where we looked at some of the online reviews for some of our customer locations. And what we found is, you know, 10, 10 to 15% of the time, the reviews were in some way related to facilities. So it could have been a broken tile, like you said, could have been a clogged up toilet, dim dressing room or unclean space, whatever the case may be. So I think that to your point, I think there is something out there relating to the consumer view, right? But I think there's another aspect here that they struggle in and that's internal advocacy, right? That's telling our executive team or our cross-functional partners that we matter and we're actually doing something. And you know, we just did about 50 customer interviews in the last couple of months. And, you know, these were long, you know, hour long interviews where we sat down and talked about, you know, a bevy of topics. But one consistent message we heard across the board is that we ask for things, we don't get things, right? And the nature of the ask isn't as detailed and structured as they would like they would they would these facility managers love to take more detail more data to support their ask yes absolutely but they don't have what they're looking for and they don't even have some of the key data that will help them get there so you know that internal advocacy and leveraging something like a service channel and particularly our data to support that becomes crucially important because it allows them to get the budget they need and they're not having to you know, rob Peter to pay Paul as they're looking at their overall budget and do I replace this unit proactively or to just, you know, assume I'm going to spend X thousand dollars on repairs over it. So I think that if executive teams had that line of sight to that level of data, it really changes the narrative. It changes the way that they look at things and it helps them to be more predictive about how they effectively manage budgets and, and properly plan for years to come. Whereas today it feels like we go in asking for twenty million in capital expenditures. I might get one percent of that, or t- sorry, ten percent of that, and and that's just not working, right? That's sort of the old school way of of thinking and doing it. 
we're seeing more and more customers and specific, specifically this facility management leaders leverage data to help advocate internally, to let people know this is the value we bring from performance to satisfaction to planning. And, and you, you think through all of the things that are in their purview of responsibility. I couldn't agree more. The more we can do to empower our users to articulate the value they bring within their own organizations, the more they're going to have the ability to ask for more investments, whether that means more investments in their own budgets, in their programs, being able to be proactive versus reactive, and investment in technology and data, right? Because ultimately, all of that ends up benefiting the consumer, which ultimately is is the final stakeholder here, right? It's it, the consumer experience is what ultimately matters in the store uh, experience. We want the store personnel, the restaurant personnel, not to worry about things that relate to facilities. We want them to be out there in front of the customer, ensuring that the customer has a great experience and to sell, right? Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. So let's talk about the how and effective strategies to achieve desired results, right? Facilities isn't just about fixing broken things. It's about, you know, more than that. Like it's about brand preservation and customer experience. But usually we see that facilities just kind of handed off a location after everything's done, right? Real estate, uh, construction, the, you know, store opening, everything's built out and then it's handed off to facilities. Do you think that facilities has as big a say as they should have in the beginning part of the process, how do successful facilities teams do that? And how do they work with their peers and partners in a harmonious way to ensure they have a seat at the table? I mean, if we were to poll our customers, I would say that the majority of them would say no to that. You know, that would be the answer to that question. But I think what's really important is that people realize that it's just not something that happens overnight. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of investment in time and, and relationships. So, you know, just coming out of these these recent conversations we've been having, I mean, what is very clear to us is facility managers and, you know, and leaders in particular that really take the time to build those cross-functional relationships and are spending, you know, equal amounts of their time with those departments, critical departments like procurement like construction, like design, like merchandising, and or and of course, store operations that I mentioned earlier, when you're spending time with them, they see you as an equal partner. If you're not spending that time, then they see you sort of the, as the, the handoff to the next group, right? And you're sort of wedged in between two groups that are oftentimes applying pressure on you. So I think we've seen a lot of success where our customers have built strong relationships. I think that the, the other thing is is recognizing the value of those relationships and, and the impact those relationships have. And some of our, you know, certainly in the restaurant industry, where you have strong store operations relationships, that really pays off. In grocery, it might be equally as important to have strong procurement relationships, to know what's being bought and whether those assets or those that specific type of equipment is actually benefiting or costing you more, or costing your budget more. So I think that those are the things that really are foundational. And then when you come out of that, it's really about having the right plan and articulating that plan to your team and your staff, right? Whether it's folks in the field, whether you have an in-house call center or facility coordinators, but making sure that you have a solid plan that everybody within your organization, within your department in particular, can understand and can adhere to and, and frankly support. Because I think, you know, when I talk about you know, these relationships that are being created at a more senior level between VPs and directors of facilities, equally so at a ground level, regional facility managers, facility managers, facility coordinators, they're doing the same with their district managers, their regional district managers, or their counterparts within the different departments. So I think having that plan in place really has, helps to set the tone and ultimately get people focused on the things that really matter most. That's right. I, I think historically, most folks that are in facilities fell into facilities. Like no one decided, I'm going to go and join facilities, right? No one does that. But what's phenomenal is that we're seeing that shift, right? We're seeing leaders in our space rise to take on uh, more, like beyond just facilities. 
there are a bunch of names that you know we we know within our own customer base who not only own facilities now but go and and take over construction and special projects take over energy management or there's one leader who's very involved and runs facilities but also owns energy utilities construction special projects which is which is phenomenal because it just means that that individual has influence within their organization and is able to make an impact within their brand and the more such people we have in our space the better for the space because that means that you know the 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 industry as a whole starts to get elevated and that's what we need that's what we want right we've definitely seen you know we talked about the skills gap on the provider side there's a bit of a skills gap issue happening on on the facility management side where you've got facility managers that are coming in that were previously in operations or previously in a different department you know some of the most admirable stories i hear about from our customers is someone who's been with a company since they were you know a busboy in a restaurant you know and and really rose up the ranks and now they're they're in the facility team working out of a corporate office rather than the a restaurant or a location. So it's really amazing to watch this and to witness this firsthand, to watch their career development. But it also beckons an opportunity for technology to help fill the gap, right? These folks can't be expected to know everything, right? And so I think for us at Service Channel, we're thinking ahead about how we leverage you know, the ecosystem that we have between providers and customers to help inform customers about things that, that do make sense and things that don't make sense. So that's, I think, something that's really interesting about about our customers is that, you know, many of them are not like you talk about a commitment to the brand and keeping brand uptime. There's a brand loyalty for a lot of these folks who've been there for a long, long time and an understanding of what that brand is and what it represents, regardless of what changes happen in the C-suite for any brand. These people have been there for many, many years and really understand the space deeply um, and know, you know, and know what it what it means for a restaurant or a convenience or a, you know, a, a pharmacy or, or a retailer to, to be successful. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. You know, you mentioned about the skills gap and folks that are starting to enter our space through different avenues. I think that connected to what I said earlier as well, it's really encouraging to see that today you can actually go and study and get a degree to be in our space. And folks are doing that, right? Yeah, that's a relatively newer thing. It's funny because in parts of you know, Europe as an example, most facility management professionals there are, you know, you know, civil engineers. In the United States and even Canada, it's a bit of a different it's a bit of a different play. Like, yeah, there are a lot of leaders that are civil engineers or engineers, but you know, a lot of facility managers are people who just understand the space or who've been maybe a contractor before or you know, maybe went to trade school or something to that effect. Right, which is great. It's a great mix. And I think that the more kinds of backgrounds we get involved in our space, the better, uh, because we just get different perspectives. Let's talk about technology. And we spoke about this a little bit earlier, but what role does technology play in empowering facilities teams? It's a huge, it's a huge thing. I Look, I think that as the stakes get higher, you know, and, and they are seemingly getting higher. Partly, you know, in some ways, I think that COVID and what we've experienced over the past two years has really accelerated the need for newer and advanced technologies. But the role that technology plays is in many ways just helping teams be more efficient and making better decisions for their business. So that has direct impact on the choice of providers the budgets, the things that they think about from a capital planning standpoint, you know, and if you look at like everything that is functionally responsible to these, to these professionals, technology is playing a really important role in all that. We're also seeing some really interesting things on the provider side too. I mean, there's a company out of Nashville called XOI. They're out there building software for what they call the final mile. So traditionally there have been field service management software applications, which is a CRM to, you know, tech-enabled mobility. And now there's this company that's really said, we don't care about all that. All we care about is stepping in and focusing in on the final mile, effectively, or when the technician arrives and when the technician leaves and literally everything in between, right? From the recording of the repair to leveraging kind of like a FaceTime support repair. So if you're a younger technician 
and you don't know how to fix something, what many people don't realize is that technicians actually bring books with them and guides, and they often look up schematics on their phones when they're on site. You know, it's a lot easier when you've got a video of a recent repair like that, or, uh, you know, literally a technician in your ear telling you what to do, a more experienced tech in your ear telling you what to do. So that's the power that technology is having today, right now. As I look at our customers and, and facility management professionals as a whole, I think a lot of that, you know, is centered around that efficiency component, right? And creating more interconnectedness around data. Like we've we've seen a desire for more detailed data. Don't tell me, you know, don't send me a, a chicken scratch note from a technician. Show me precisely what it is that they've done, right? And help me understand the cost impact there. Because I think that there's always a reservation in every facility manager's mind, is, which is, am I paying too much for the service? Am I being ripped off? It's no different than you and I and any homeowner or someone who owns a ho- an apartment or a townhouse in America, as they have people come in and provide service, right? Like, am I paying a fair value for this service? And when you try to ask that question of yourself across 90 plus trades, it's impossible. How do you know what the cost of a fusible link on an Ansel system is versus like what's a normal cost to recharge a fire extinguisher or replace a blower motor fan or or whatever the case may be. It's really hard for facility managers to know all of this. And I think what, what is becoming really clear is that data can help to educate them in their decisions and normalize what is expected. So I think that that's, you know, that, that all leads to some level of efficiency and, and really ultimately some level of cost savings for them as they think about things. Um, so we've seen, we've seen a lot of that. We've also seen a ton around IoT, around how customers expect equipment, and these manufacturers are get, getting real slick with how they're doing this, but they expect equipment to self-diagnose well ahead of a store reala- realizing that the ice maker's down or that the walk-in freezer's down, right? If if those units can tell us that they're in defrost mode or not in defrost mode and have had a component failure, then we can get somebody out there well ahead of a catastrophic failure that would otherwise cost you thousands of dollars. You can potentially prevent by you know cleaning a coil or cleaning a filter or whatever the case may be. 100%. There's a lot of technology players that are in our space now, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, like I said, like the example I was giving on the final mile type provi- uh, software company, there's a lot of them out there and they're no longer focused on trying to do everything. They're like carving out a real niche to say that this is what we're focused on. There's companies out there focused on convenience fuel tanks, monitoring just for fuel tanks, right? And they don't care about any other sort of monitoring and like, you know, they're integrated with service shell. So we're hearing a lot of partnerships and from, from our standpoint, especially on the product side, we know we're not going to be able to do everything. And so we're going to build, build the things that are core to our customers and, and bring an immense amount of value. But we're also keeping a door open for partnerships because we feel that these partnerships can really help to address, you know, a lot of the nuances that customers or providers might need throughout their, their journey. It's been amazing to see the amount of attention our space has gotten in the past 12 years. You know, 12 years ago, you know, there was not as much investments or PE companies or VCs that were interested in our space. Nobody cared as much. In the past five to eight years, it's been phenomenal. The amount of money that's flown in and also that has driven innovation. New companies trying to solve problems that have existed for a long time, but like you said, focusing on solving a very particular problem. It's also consolidating, at least on the provider side, we're seeing a lot of consolidation. You know, a lot of these mom and pop companies are being bought up, especially on the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing side. They're being bought up by these PE firms and they're creating these mega, you know, national or practically national service companies. And the good is that, okay, you know, you've got a one-stop shop. The bad is like any company, you go from St. Louis to Austin or New York City, whatever the case may be, the service is going to be different. There's no standardization in service. As much as they try, it's really about the tech talent you have. I think in some ways it is monopolizing <laughs> the service, the cost of services, right? Because now you have these mega companies out there and they can really set the price. They can set the scope. They can set things. Whereas historically, I think the customer had more buying power. We are definitely entering the age where the providers 
have more selection power of their customers, right? And our customers are aware of this. And so, you know, you can call that a bit more of balance, but at the same time, it's it's just the reality of the situation that we're in. And and in some ways, I think COVID is, has helped to accelerate that situation. So it'll be interesting to see where it, where it heads to in the next five years. Yeah, no, we, yeah, providers have always, of course, played a key and pivotal role in this whole ecosystem that, that we're in. And, you know, I think you said it right. We have to pay attention to both the multi-site facility manager or buyer, as well as the provider. You know, at the end of the day, the system only works if both sides are happy, empowered, and, and have what they need to do their part. Bashir, let's change gears a little bit. Everyone in facilities has a fun, interesting story. Anything crazy you want to share? <laughs> um, well, there's some there's some crazy stories that I, I don't think would be appropriate for a podcast. But <laughs> um, one one uh, funny and heartfelt story that I will share is in my previous role, when I was in the procurement role, one of our customers was Seven Eleven, and they had a desperate need for generators at the time that Hurricane Sandy had struck. And so here you are, you know, the better part of the north northeastern seaboard was without power. Um, my wife and I were without power for nine days. And I was working the phones every day to try to get generators to 7-Eleven locations, partly because, you know, in part because FEMA needed diesel fuel out of those for emergency services. And so we had to get those locations up and running as required by law. But there was one particular case where a colleague of mine had reached out to me because there was a McDonald's location in Edison, New Jersey, that was looking for a generator. It was one of the only locations that restaurants in the space that we actually procured a generator for. And we got that generator out there and we got it hooked up. And, you know, the location's up and running and humming. And, you know, all of a sudden people are getting their first hot meal in days. And, I got a call the next the next morning. My contractor was going out there to try to check in on the generator, and make sure everything's working, make sure the fuel levels were right, and he was getting yelled at because the line out of that location was almost two miles long, and he had to cut ahead of everybody to get in there to, to check in. And we got to the front of the line. <laughs> there was Grimace from McDonald's with a big old sign waving people in, you know, <laughs> putting on the big show, which was. You know, which was hilarious in some ways, but also, again, also indicative of how our customers feel every day when they're solving challenges. I, I felt that in that moment. I felt like, you know, I, I was able to do something, sure, that, that helped the McDonald's brand. But, you know, more importantly, you know, giving families their first hot meal in, in days was really was really a nice feeling for me and for our team at the time who was working on that. So, so that was, I wouldn't call it a crazy story, but uh, a really important story and reflective of the things that our customers, our facility managers, and contractors, right? Those technicians in particular are the heroes that are often out there at two in the morning solving problems. But that was that was uh, indicative of what they see every day. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. I think people don't realize, right, w- what it takes to really ensure that, you know, the business is open during challenging times like this. I mean, you saw this with COVID. I think over the past two years, the amount of limelight, rightfully so, that has been shined on our space has been phenomenal because I think folks finally understood that there's a team that's responsible for ensuring the location is safe and secure and warm and welcoming. And suddenly things that were taken for granted were right in the forefront and there was the facilities team there to close all the stores at once open all the stores again, close it again, boarding up, you know, locations. It's been an interesting time, but, you know, facilities teams stepped up, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. There isn't a societal or or nature-based thing that doesn't impact the facility team. Like, like you said, like in 2020, we had some social unrest happening in the country. And when there was need for board ups in certain cities, guess what? The facility team had to go and do that, right? And it was coming directly out of their budget and they're shutting stores down. And they had to convince somebody to fly in or drive over immediately to do it in in no time's notice. Like you said, right, when hurricanes were happening, same thing. You know, you just never know 
where to expect this. And we're seeing more and more natural disasters, tornadoes. There was one, unfortunately, just the other day in New Orleans. So like these, these things, every time something like, like that hits and it's hitting across the country, right? It's the facility managers that have to jump in and, and the contractors that go along for that ride. And then even as you mentioned with COVID, right? You know, you're seeing these partition boards, you know, these glass partitions or plastic partitions being put up. There was no, there was no real, unless it was a bank, right? There was no real playbook on how to do this. And so, you know, facility teams were trying to figure that out. And it was really, really interesting. That's right. So, Bashir, let's talk about the future. Let's leave the audience with some advice and insights on where the industry is headed. Moving forward, what would you say has the potential to make the biggest impact on our industry as a whole? I think that we are at that point where the next natural progression with data is leveraging benchmarking for better decisions. But it's also the type of benchmarking that will help to inform customers and providers about what is a fair price or what is something that that makes sense versus something that can wait till later on. So, you know, I, I talked earlier about the importance of collecting information. And we, we've, in the past three or four years now, have done really great work of getting to the point where we went from trade-level information and notes down to resolution codes and root cost codes, where we really start to understand across all of our customers what the root of these problems are for the better part of 30 plus trades. Now it's leveraging that data to help people make better decisions, whether you know strategically planning ahead or making tactical decisions on repair, replace, or whatever the case may be. So I think the the look and view on data insights, particularly benchmarking, is going to have a huge impact. It's going to help with the skills gap, and it's certainly going to help facility managers that are not well-versed in specific trades make better decisions for their business because they get to see what other people in the market are, are doing in a particular county or province and or, or, or census, whatever, whatever the geographical coverage is. So that's, I think, one huge aspect is around data benchmarking to help inform better decisions. I do think, you know, I talked about this earlier. I do think that there are versions of artificial intelligence that are really going to help to transform our industry. One area that we're doing a bit of research on now is what they call semantic AI, which allows people to to simulate how our customers and users better understand language and, and to understand the meaning of that information. So I'll give you a perfect example. You know, the, it is the industry standard today when a location is creating work that they sort of go through a selection of drop downs or they're looking at uh, a picture of the unit that they're trying to select. But the world that they live in, you know, isn't so black and white where they're just dropping down to things. And oftentimes they end up making mistakes because here you have the least, the person that probably least understands the problem trying to tell you what the problem is, and ultimately inform a technician to come out and solve that problem. So what something like semantic AI can do is help us, like help them just tell us what the problem is. Like, I'm having this issue at my store. There's a leak in the roof. It's coming out of the right corner. We can extract that information and then prepare the technician for what to expect. We can decipher whether that really is a leak, a roof leak, or whether it's water coming through a drain from an HVAC unit, right? And I think that is the type of stuff that that customers will look toward and will ultimately leverage in a way that makes their teams more effective and better and ultimately serve the brand in a way that they haven't historically seen. So I think that those are two uh, perfect use cases. You know, we talked about IoT and the impact that's having. Manufacturers are getting wise to this. They're recognizing that when procurement and construction are buying equipment, it's no longer about the life cycle of that equipment. It's about throughout the life cycle, how's that equipment performing? How's it communicating? And so manufacturers also want this data themselves. And so they're thinking about this. So they're adding the appropriate hardware and they're also adding the appropriate software and, and integrations to be able to have that equipment talk to a platform like Service Channel. So I think those are those are three great examples of how the industry will evolve in the coming years and, and you know months and years to come. But it's certainly exciting. And it, all of the things I just talked about, I think, are applicable to both providers 
and to facility managers, right? It's not, you know, for the provider side, it's really understanding like what's a fair price for this market, right? And then I think that that they don't really have that. They kind of go into a negotiation and they, you know, hard play hardball with with a customer. But look, if you're missing opportunities every time and you're off by, you know, certain labor rate or material markup or or average invoice amount, oh, this will help to guide you to to be more appropriately priced. So I think I think this is how we're we're envisioning the future. Um, and I think it's gonna be a really exciting impact on 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 both parties. Without a doubt. That that is super exciting. And I think I think we've barely scratched the surface when it comes to using data, right? I mean, this is well known. I mean, most organizations don't know what to do with that data and how to really utilize all the data they're collecting to be meaningful for their own business as well as for the, the customer. So I, I think the more we can use the data to empower, influence, connect, streamline, the better. What future trends do you see forthcoming? Anything that excites you? Yeah, I think around machine learning and, and AI. You know, I, I think that I want to I want to be cautious because I don't want people to think that we're going to have a robot show up to your location and fix the problem. That's just not going to happen anytime soon. I mean, you're seeing how how robotics are actually leveraged, you know, in restaurants and whatnot for for the delivery of food or something to that effect. But I think for us it's around how do you leverage machine learning to create better algorithms that that ultimately have better outcomes for folks. And how do you how you really leverage AI? Because I think AI is is a surface that everyone's trying to scratch right now, and trying to take some of these successful use cases that have been applied elsewhere and apply them to our industry is going to be really crucial and really important for us. What we're looking at is we kind of see it in three buckets. We're looking at big dollar decisions, small dollar decisions that may more more might often be more frequent, and then some level of advocacy. You know, we talked about this earlier where this type of stuff can help a team advocate for themselves so they they that their executive team isn't constantly shortchanging them on the budget, right? Because when you as a facility team, when you get shortchanges of budget on the budget, you're making really impossible decisions. You know, do you cut a PM here? What's the impact of that, right? Do you not replace a unit there? What's the impact of that? Right. So I think it's connecting a lot of information that otherwise wasn't connected and you know really allowing facility managers to speak truth to power with their executive teams so that i think is the the power that machine learning and ai will have in our space and it's going to take some time to get there but you'll see some really important steps happen in the areas that i sort of outlined the areas that are biggest impact to to both parties now i agree but you just you spoke about robots so i'm going to go there uh, you know, I, I was at a conference in Vegas. I spoke on a panel recently. It was called Murtech, and it had to do with restaurant technologies. And what was interesting is that I think the future is going to be retailers and restaurants trying new things, trying new things to engage their customers at different levels. And that could be and that, that is actually robots in some cases, you know, serving drinks, delivering your food, drones, delivering your food, you know, rover, delivering your food. Businesses are, are trying to figure out what consumer behavior is going to look like in the future, right? Um, not everything that they're doing right now makes sense. Some of it might. Some of it might be very early stages. Uh, but the matter of the fact is that there's new things being done, and that involves New hardware, new software, new interactions. It kind of, it kind of means that facilities is going to have an interesting role going forward because someone's got to have to take care of that robot, right? You don't want to walk into a restaurant and have the robot that serves you drinks, you know, be, you know, be dysfunctional in the middle of the, of the restaurant floor. <laughs> yeah. Or disruptive. I, I mean, I mean, full disclosure. Nothing frightens me more than a robot on two legs walking around. So, so I should just tell you that right But we're, we're all going to be taken over by Skynet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. I, I I just jumped back to the the nineties and Terminator and all that fun stuff. But in in all honesty, like I agree. We're also seeing contractors deploy robotics too, right? You know, like in the most simplistic form, some of them 
are using drones to do video aerial footage of landscaping, parking lots for striping, roofs assessments, right? So, man, you know, they're getting super efficient about how they are able to do this. I think you're right, though. And, and it's actually indicative of the automotive industry where, you know, I come from a small business family. My dad has a garage. And so I know what his tech, what his mechanics were able to work on. But if you pull a Tesla into their garage today, they wouldn't even know where to touch that thing. Right. So I, I think like, you know, the skill set changes and the needs for those skills change at a time, as we've talked about, where the skills gap is the largest it's ever been. So it is it is interesting um, where the skills on how to do certain things on one type of item can be ascertained with the right proper training. But, you know, but if you look at the mechanical electrical plumbing trades, as an example, those require a deeper level of, of learning and education that requires more time. So I think you're right. I think we are in for uh, an awakening around how robotics um, will apply to not just, you know, not just the retail restaurant space, but also how contractors deploy those, uh, you know, those those technologies uh, to the ben- to their own benefit, right? So it'll, it'll be really interesting to see where this where this heads and and how the industry responds to it. I think for our part, you know, it's still it's still kind of back into the IoT play, where this equipment or this robot needs to needs to talk to someone. Well, you would hope that that robot's not walking over to some dashboard creating a service channel ticket, right? You know, it just automatically notifies us. But I could certainly see that that being a really big part of the of the longer term plan. We're out of time. Let's end with that. Uh, Bashir, thanks for taking the time to chat with me today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for being here. Likewise. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sid. I really appreciate it. For all those listening, I would highly recommend reaching out to Bashir to pick his brain more. It'll be highly worth it. Thank you all. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Elevating Brick and Mortar, a podcast brought to you by Service Channel. Partner with Service Channel for peak facilities performance. Go to servicechannel.com to learn more. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a rate and review.